Well, good morning, First Christian Church. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a couple announcements I want to go over first, but before we get into any of that, I just want to give, well, we'll get to that later, actually. That's, that'll be the prayer point. Um, so, a couple of things we go over today before we pass it off to Elderberry for a communion, and I'm excited I can finally say that again. It's been, we've had kind of an uh, uh, off couple of weeks where we haven't both been here to make that transition, so I'm glad for it. But first and foremost, speaking of Barry, as uh, we mentioned in previous weeks, and if you've gone on the website at all, you would also uh, know, um, the Barry is the co-director of Kids Camp, and Kids Camp uh, starts today after church. Barry uh, is going to be heading up there, of course, with Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay uh, is going to go up. And this is your, Tay-Tay, this is your first year at Camp Camp, right? You've been to the camp, but this is going to be the first year at the program camp. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it, we're going to be uh, just praying, uh, of course, a little bit later for God's provision and protection as they drive up there, and uh, the biggest one as well is God's revelation uh, to Taylor. Um, I personally believe, and I believe 100% the scripture backs this up, there is no junior Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is just as big, no matter what age you are, nor what size you are, the Holy Spirit is just as big, just as powerful, and uh, we recognize that and just... Uh, Pray and hope for Tay-Tay to, to have a, a truly uh, revealing experience uh, with God and um, that she can just uh, walk away from camp having a good time. But uh, furthermore, also, you know, actually, Barry, you tie into this next one, too, because you are part of our kitchen remodel team. Um, we got to come here this last week, uh, and we spent the evening painting the kitchen a new coat of paint, and I think it looks really good. I didn't even pick out the paint color this time. Uh, that's all Scott. And actually... Uh, Robert and uh, Pat helps us because I remember I had to run outside really fast and ask you guys your opinion on that. Uh, so thank you for that, and thank you uh, for the team that we had there uh, painting, putting in the hours, uh, having some fun, getting messy, and eating tacos. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, another point just for celebration for us is that um, we are moving forward with the nomadic communities, or rather Scott has been continually spearheading that. And of course, uh, the elder team has been in support of that uh, this time as well. Uh, we are buying a second, well, I was gonna say we, um, I'm not doing it, but I guess we are, uh, buying a second trailer. And this is so we can, uh, again, move forward on that project, house, um, and take care of people in difficult housing situations, homelessness, um, and for anyone that didn't know, congratulations to Pastor Scott and Kathy on not being homeless anymore, technically. So uh, that's great. They finally moved into their new house. Really excited. That's been a process. And I know for sure that's probably also been stressful. So I'm glad that that uh, weight is off your shoulders. Um, in regards to mask, I'm going to actually leave that up to Scott and the elders. Um, they'll be sending out an email this week um, specifically outlining all that information. I'm not even going to touch that right now um, because there are still a couple things that need to be had in discussion uh, as well as just more information that uh, we want to gather. Um, and so just be looking in your emails for that. We would um, just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page and there's no confusion or at least as little as possible and we can all move uh, forward together. Second to last thing, or the last thing before we go into um, just a quick time of prayer and, um, and before we prepare ourselves to move over to Elder Barry and lead us in communion, um, is I just 
want to lift up some prayer requests, some people um, that I just want to be praying over uh, this time. Um, Janine and Jennifer, um, both of these people are friends and have relationship with people uh, here at First Christian, um, and they are both uh, currently battling um, cancer, and so we just want to lift them up in prayer in just a moment uh, when we go into prayer time, but for everybody at home, um, please put that on your prayer list. Just be praying for God's provision, blessing, healing, um, in whatever form uh, it takes. Uh, we believe that God can heal. We just ask that he would. Um, and so lastly, uh, just this thought I've had over these last couple of weeks, um, and, and really over this time of COVID, I guess, or, and not even just that, even, even beyond that, with political unrest and just kind of ongoing, I get excited in a weird way when I see or sense the enemy presenting an attack. The reason why I get excited, and it's hard, but the reason why I get excited is because the enemy is, a, is spiritual in nature and has um, insight on certain degrees and certain levels um, to the things that God is doing. And I know, strategically speaking, when you strike a target, it's because you see the strategic importance to you and to the uh, one you're battling. And so when I see and sense the enemy moving to disrupt unity, to disrupt livelihoods, to disrupt our peace, I get excited because what that says to me is he feels threatened by what God is doing or about to do. And at least that's the way I look at it. I know that for a lot of us, um, whether you be um, a positional leader, um, uh, a mother, a father, a child, a grandparent, a coworker, or a boss, um, this last bit of time in all of our lives has been well, quite turbulent. I don't think anybody could argue against that. But I am encouraged to know that the God who created the universe, that the God who intimately wants to know you and to know me and to wants, wants us, who does intimately know us and who wants us to come into intimately knowing him, is in control, loves us, and is moving active and alive and is doing something new, not just in First Christian, not just in our household, but in this city and in this community. So, Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the struggles. We thank you for the trials. We thank you for the problems that we get to have as our problems and the things we worry about. God, right now, there are just so many things that we could ask you for. God, I do ask you for healing. I ask you for intervention. God, I ask you to touch the hearts and the lives of the kids going to camp, 
For those that are sick and suffering, God, I ask that you would comfort and heal them. I ask that you would comfort the family members and those close to them as well. God, all of those things, we know you are in control. We know nothing surprises you. And God, we know that you love us, that you want the best for us. And more often than not, we seem to get distracted by things that are good and forget to focus on the one that the good things come from, the great and mighty Yahweh. So, Father, today as Barry uh, brings and leads us into and through communion, as Scott brings the word, as we leave this church building, log off from online, and just go about our lives, I pray, God, for an a, a continuing growing of sensitivity to your spirit, a discipline of our lives. And Father, more than anything, I just ask that you would help us and lead us in loving one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate the prayer and the words. And again, um, as you mentioned, this is camp week for, for me and for a bunch of our junior campers, which is the second to sixth grade crowd. Now, Kyle forgot to mention that he's going to be up at camp the next week at teen camp where all the junior high and high school kids go. So Kyle will be going up there next week. So, um, so this is camp week for the next two weeks. So certainly appreciate your prayers and your guidance on what we do up there. I also like this because this is the one time I can come up and do communion meditation in shorts and a t-shirt and not feel guilty about it, and that's since I'm geared up, dressed up for camp and ready to go, and that, so I don't know if you can see it online, but I'm wearing my, my hiking shorts, and I got a t-shirt, and it, it's casual zone, so, um, but I did want to share um, a thought, um, and as we go up to camp, we have a theme, every year we pick a theme for camp, um, so we have you know, a, a theme idea, a theme word that we run with. And this year, and it was for last year, but we didn't have camp last year, so we carried it over. But the theme this year is hope, which I believe is a very important concept with all the stuff we've gone through. And, you know, you know we feel like we're maybe starting to come out of COVID and things are getting better and that. And, that. and so the concept of hope and that, and that, and it, the idea comes out of Jeremiah 29:11 that you guys are familiar with. I know the plans I have for you, not for calamity, but for a future and a hope in that. And so, so God is the author of hope in that. And I wanted to share a verse this morning. Um, but before I do, I want to ask the question for us. Where does your hope come from? Maybe you're looking for hope right now. Maybe things are still kind of bleak, but where does our hope come from? How can we have hope in the midst of things that are not so nice, as Kyle was sharing in that? So I want to share a verse, um, and, and this is in, in 1 Timothy. So here the Apostle Paul is writing to the young pastor Timothy and encouraging him in that, because and, I imagine that Timothy was probably going through a bunch of stress and trials and difficult things as a young pastor 
a lot of opposition and a lot of things going on. And so in 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 10, um, Paul encourages Timothy and he says, It is for this that we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of us believers. And so there Paul shares what I believe is a very foundational truth that is important to us, that that hope doesn't come from circumstances. Hope doesn't come because things are going well. For us as believers, hope comes from our living God. And to me, that's such an important concept as we think about communion, because ultimately, Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins, but not staying there. He was raised again on the third day. And so when the scriptures say living God, it's literally Jesus is alive, living God. And that that is where our hope comes from. The fact that Jesus overcame death. He paid for our sins, but he overcame death and he's alive and he's now offers salvation and is our, and is our savior. To me, that is where hope comes from. Um, that we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to wonder, is it going to turn out all right? Because we know how it turns out. Because of what Jesus did for us, we know what the end is going to be in that. And so I encourage you this morning, as we share in communion, as we remember his death uh, on the cross, his payment for our sins, as we remember his three days in the grave, when his disciples were grieving because they thought it was all lost. And then there was the resurrection where Jesus was alive again and there was hope again. That is where our hope comes from. And so I have a prayer this morning is that for you, hope can come from that same source, from our living God, from the resurrected Jesus. That's where hope comes from. And so as we go through whatever in life, um, we can have that hope that no one can take away. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll share in communion. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us hope, Father. We are, live in a dark world. We could, it's very easy to get discouraged and down, um, to, to lose hope because what we see around us. Father, give us eyes of faith to be able to see past that, to look into um, the eyes of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and know he is the living God, and there's still hope. And there will always be hope. So guide us this morning as we share communion. Put hope back in our lives, Father, if it's missing. And Father, revive it for those that maybe it's been dwindling. We give you the praise and glory for the hope you give us and for what your son Jesus did on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to get your communion supplies, we will share in the Lord's Supper itself. Um, does everybody have communion? Oh, one left. Where's Ron at? So, I'm going to grab one more because he wants to share with us. So, we want everybody to be a part of it. So, I'll wait a second. Oh, here he comes. He's right there. Ron, one more up here. Or are we out? That's it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We're all out of community supplies, so we got just enough for almost everybody. All right.
So on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the, bro- the loaf, the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Eat this bread. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine, a juice, and he shared it among his disciples and said, Drink of this cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shared for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Scott? Good morning, everybody. I thought I would uh, dress a little campish today, but unlike Barry, I chose long sleeves and long pants, and it's getting hot already. (laughs) Okay, but that's all right. Um, Yeah, we. um, I just wanted to add a little bit. The um, another prayer request you could be praying for. I forgot to get Kyle is. Uh, for a a friend of ours, uh, Kathleen Van Buskirk, who is struggling through pretty um, hard pancreatic cancer. Not that any cancer is not hard. Um, And she's not doing great. Her body isn't responding well to the treatments, and so if you could be praying for her. And as far as the masks are concerned, um, we are waiting till the last minute to give out any much uh, guidance because the the state keeps changing things. So as far as I know, last I checked, um, on Tuesday, people will be able um, to not wear masks if they're fully vaccinated. And I think what's also key is um, we can't um, require we can't ask anybody if they are vaccinated. It violates their HIPAA rights. And so it's a little tricky. And, um, and then I heard, Kathy, my wife had heard that OSHA is also coming out with some guidelines on the 18th, which is three days later, so who knows. But it looks like next Sunday at our next service, you will be able to uh, not wear a mask if you are fully vaccinated. And so for some people, I'm sure that's going to make you nervous. And for other people, I hope that will bring you back because you've not wanted to um, have to sit for a long period of time indoors with a mask on. Uh, So both of those we understand. And if you have any questions or comments, you just send them to me or call me or text me. And I will send out an email probably tomorrow um, or the next day on Tuesday when when the state releases their guidelines finally um, so that I can give you the most accurate information. All right. Enough of that for right now. You know, I'm kind of excited about this message because it's not where I thought it was going to go. This week was weird because when you're preaching, you have to kind of bear the time constraint you have in mind. And then you have to add four or five hours because that's what preachers do. And then you have to say, wait, you're going to get fired and you back it back down. And you're just trying to find, you know, you have to figure out what your time frame is like any public speaker and then figure out what you can cover in a meaningful way. And so when I first read today's passage, we'll be in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. Um, It didn't seem like a big deal to me. Um, As a matter of fact, it involves primarily Jesus casting out a demon out of a possessed person. And even though that seems very extreme, 
because it is. Um, we've actually even covered that in Luke already in a different person. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But it's, I dug and studied into this passage a little bit more. It became really exciting for me because I've been a person my whole life who enjoys the wisdom of older people. Um, just the life experience that older people have, older than me, um, and sometimes even younger, right? Uh, but usually an older person, if you'll just stop and take some time with them, um, they're always, to me, they're always fascinating people to talk with because they have so much more life experience than me, and they've been able to, to have some time to put some of the dots together that I haven't. And so one of the reasons I chose this kind of crazy background um, for, the, for the slides today, and I just wanted to point that out because I want you to keep thinking about this, is how all of us together over our life experiences are just kind of putting all the pieces together, right? You know so much more right now than you did 10 years ago. And you probably don't like some of what you know, <laughs> but at least it, it helps you better understand the bigger picture as you take in more data and kind of um, meditate on it. And so this morning, I'm just calling this message the wisdom of uh, life experience, right? Because not everybody wants to be called an elder. Um, the Bible does speak a lot about the wisdom of the elders, and uh, God's constantly pointing us towards paying attention to that. And so one of the things that's kind of a bummer to me with the, with the younger generation, every generation, including when I was younger, is that we have this tendency to say, well, that's crazy old grandpa, or that's crazy old grandma. Well, we don't dare say that about grandma. She'll, she'll usually get really mad or make us feel horrible. So it's usually, you know, crazy old grandpa. But, uh, and I'm sure I'm one there too. And so, uh, but there's just so much life experience that could be learned. I think of some of the wise, older, um, predominantly men, because I'm a man, in my life when I was younger, that if I had just asked them some questions, if I had just listened to their life story a little bit more, I probably could have launched into my own adulthood in a better way, positioned better. Um, I could have understood things a little bit more. I could have paid attention to maybe more of what's important and a little less attention to my own selfishness, right, and the way I want to live life. And I think we're going to see that in the disciples today and in the rest of Luke chapter 9. Because here's the interesting thing about Luke chapter 9 from where we're going to start today all the way through the end of this chapter. And that is that these are the worst views of the disciples in the entire Bible. This makes them look worse than any other time in all of the Gospels or the rest of the New Testament. For example, today we're going we're gonna to see how um, they were unable to heal this person, and so he had to be brought behind, before Jesus. And it appears that it's because they didn't have enough faith, and they didn't spend enough time in prayer. In other words, like all of us tend to do, they were just trying to do this on their own power, in the name of Jesus, right? And it wasn't working. They were unable to heal this person. And the guy, the, the father, actually brings that up. And then next week, we'll talk about the squabble the disciples have to Jesus saying, hey, which one of us is greatest? You know, like, who's the best disciple? 
come on, man, who's the best churchgoer? Who's the best Christian you know? You know, it's all these squabbles, you know, that they're having. The disciples are having it, and Jesus doesn't like it. <laughs> and then they also are kind of grasping for exclusionary power. Like, they're, they want power uh, for Jesus's cause, but they want it, and they're asking him for it, and it comes off kind of selfish, and Jesus has to kind of counsel them. One of the things that I think is is really revealing is at one point, uh, James and John, the thons, sons of thunder, this is part of why they get that name, they tell Jesus when he has some conflict with other people, hey, do you want us to call down fire and burn these guys up? Like, like what kind of a question is that, you know, when you're walking around with Jesus? And uh, especially after you've just been able to unable to heal people, your lack of faith and all this stuff, but they just blurt out, and it's not Peter for a change, they blurt out, hey, you want us just to call down fire and burn up all these people that are against you right here? And Jesus had to have some words with them. And then finally, as the chapter closes, we'll see how, like us, as 2021 disciples of Christ, um, there was a huge struggle between what they needed or felt they needed to live through this life and the spiritual calling that Jesus was trying to call them to, a bigger calling. And that really echoes with me, and we'll talk about that more probably in two weeks, because I see, I've seen in myself and I see in a lot of people this potential, this spiritual potential within them. And a lot of times in counseling, I'll see this potential inside of them that would have not only brought them to counseling, but would immediately just clear up their, their issues they're getting counseling for. Um, but they just have to grasp onto some spiritual truths and maybe hold the worldly truths that they want a little looser or to let go of them altogether. And then almost like to cap it off, you know, this is primarily to the 12 disciples, which we now call apostles that Jesus was dealing with. But chapter 10 actually opens up with Jesus sending out 70 disciples. So he is expanding his reach, his ministry, um, first with the 12, especially the three. And now he's going to branch it out to the 70, and then he's going to allow it to just ignite the world with ministry. And it would be all of us, down to me, down to you, down to everybody. So it's just a really interesting study. So this morning, I just want to start in Luke chapter 9, verse 37. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, Peter, James, and John. Yeah, or John and James, yeah. Yeah, Peter and then John and James, the sons of Zebedee, if I remember right. And they're the sons of thunder because they were a lot like Peter. And I've said a couple of times during this chapter series um, that there's a lot of question whether these were really the three super apostles or they were the three super troublemakers and Jesus had to keep them close to rain herd on them, you know, a little more. <laughs> it's very interesting when you read it that way. Let me read you a couple of verses here. We're going to read uh, verses 37. Where did I want to stop? Through 41. So it says, uh, this is when, remember, they're coming down off of that cloud where God spoke to the disciples. They fell down on the ground. They were scared. Jesus picked them up. They started walking back down the hill. And then on the next day, when they came down from that mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. So there's a large crowd waiting there. Again, that's an echo of Moses coming down off of Mount Sinai 
to the Israelite people, right? And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And in verse 42, it says, I'm going to read one more verse. While he was still approaching this demon, so Jesus is approaching the boy, or the boy was approaching him. Uh, it's the boy approaching him, sorry. The demon that was in him slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. That rebuke there is really an interesting word. I don't know why, but I felt like I needed to dive into the original. It's the, the original is a Greek epitomeo, and it is to censor or to admonish, to forbid something, to superimpose a value. And we get our word epitome from that, which interestingly is a perfect example of something, right? So that's the, the original word for epitome is epitomeo. It's actually epitomao. I keep saying that the wrong way. And it just means to rebuke. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's not healing the boy. He's not like screaming at the demon and forcing him out through his Holy Spirit, though there's some of that probably going on spiritually. But he's rebuking him. And all the gospel writers, all the synoptic parallel gospel writers, the three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is writing for something else, they all use this word rebuke. They were all very careful to use this exact word. And really what's going on here, I think, is, is mostly the second definition there where Jesus is superimposing his value on the body of that boy. He's, he's superimposing his Holy Spirit onto that boy instead of just casting the demon out. It's like there's no more room for that demon there. And it, it seems like, when I, when I think about that for us, and there were a lot of parallel examples as I studied this passage, what's going on with the boy is clearly um, parallel to modern epilepsy. Um, same exact symptoms. Uh, but this is demonic in its nature, not just biological. And so what I, what I think about is my own journey, and maybe your journey too, where, where we're being led by Christ, and there are things in this world that we've grown up understanding as I go back to my original opening comments of being a boy surrounded by a few good men and not taking their advice, just seeing what I wanted to see, it's almost like we talk ourselves into a reality that's not the best reality for us. And frankly, I see this over and over and over again when I'm counseling people. Because we all will talk ourselves into our own reality. And that reality can, has mental effects, it has spiritual effects, it even has physical effects on our bodies. And I know I have experienced that myself in the past. 
And so the, the problem with that becomes this idea that usually self-talk and self-analysis is unhealthy because it tends to be negative. You know, it's, it's the few, few people out there that think, I am such a great person, I'm the healthiest example of a human being on the planet of the earth. If you get someone like that, they're usually ego man, you know, they're, they're just got an inflated sense of ego and it's usually bad. A lot of that, if you think about it, those types of people will actually tend to be the villains in a movie or in a, in a novel or whatever, in a historical account. Not always, but often. <laughs> and so really most of us, when we're thinking about ourselves, I mean, Think about this yourself and see if you agree with me. We're, we're kind of looking at our faults and maybe wishing things would be a little bit different, maybe wishing I was a little thinner, my hair was a little darker, uh, you know, whatever it is for me, right? But uh, when I look into a mirror or when I think about myself and that's the only input I have, it's never great. Sometimes it's good, but it's never great. It's when I take in the counsel of other people, when I dwell in the Holy Spirit, as Barry said in his communion, when, when I look to the Lord for my troubles and my woes and the things that are going on, that everything kind of levels out. I try and express to people in counseling that life is like a sine wave, right? There's a lot of lows, there's a lot of highs, sometimes the frequency is more and so there's spikes. Sometimes it takes a long time to see the high and the low and so the wave is so big you sometimes don't notice it creeping up on you, whatever. But those are all, that's a sine wave built on today's circumstance and this week's circumstance and this year's circumstance. I think a great example right now is next Sunday when churches in California and businesses in California, so maybe it's this Tuesday actually, see people taking off their masks. And I think that's going to cause a lot of uneasy feelings with some people and valid, valid uneasy feelings. And I also think for other people, it's gonna cause a lot of finally feelings because you know, they don't wanna wear the masks, right? And I pray that all people will just be trying to respect each other's feelings and be aware that this is going on. But what will generally happen, we saw it happen over the last year, we've seen it happen throughout all of history with other things, is that you'll have people that will retract in fear, and rightly so, and you'll have people that'll be aggressive with finally, blah, 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 right? And then and not even meaning to, but definitely hurting the feelings of the other party and not helping them feel more comfortable, right? And so our jobs as Christian people is to try and love our neighbors as ourselves, right? I think, I think I read that in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's really difficult to do. Jesus knew that. That's why he only gave us two, all right? And so that's what you see here is you see over time Jesus' spirit kind of replacing our own. And you see the disciples struggling with this here. Right? I think that's why Luke put in chapter 9, is to help us say, okay, well, if the apostles struggled with this, you know, it's not such a big deal if I'm struggling here too, right? 
But the bigger picture is, is actually selfish. It's for you. It's for me. It's this idea that as the sine wave of life is, is just going out, that I know there's going to be highs and lows, and I'm, I'm going to like some parts of it, and I'm not going to like others. But at the end of the day, which Barry, I think, was alluding to, or just flat out said during communion, at the end of the day, it's eternity that I have my heart set upon and my mind set upon. And so no matter what I think about any major issue that I'm facing, whether it be in a church, it be in society, be in culture, be in my family, I'm trying and sometimes failing, but I'm trying to have eternity in mind. When we get to heaven, this just isn't going to matter as much. When we get to heaven, whether we had to wear a mask or we wanted to wear a mask, isn't going to matter. Ten years from now, maybe, uh, COVID isn't going to matter as much. Maybe it'll be like we treat the flu nowadays, right? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but... It's getting past the hard times and realizing that they're not permanent and being ready in the good times. So one of my mottos for life is to expect the worst and hope for the best. And so I, I try and let the hope part outweigh the, my expectations, but usually our expectations are discouraged, right? We don't, we don't usually see our expectations fully come to completion because we have high expectations. Or maybe, and this is where the sine wave comes in, maybe your expectation is really bad. You really expect things to be terrible, that that's the way it's going to be. The problem is that's living in a pit. That's living in the bad side of the sine wave. And it's not where God would have for your life. So the trick in that situation is to be expecting the worst so that you can be prepared. What can I do if this terrible thing happens? Just to be sort of prepared. But I'm hoping that it will never happen. Or I'm hoping that things will get better. Robert. Yeah, pessimistic. Yeah. And it's hard. You know, let's be honest, people. It's hard not to be pessimistic right now. It's, it's actually maybe, or maybe it's just me and apparently Robert, um, it's hard not to be pessimistic with so many negative things going on, but it's a beautiful day outside. Well, it's going to be hot, but it's a beautiful day outside. The birds are singing, Barry's going to camp, Taylor's going to have her first week at camp. Um, there are beautiful things happening in your life, but we focus on the negatives and we need not to. I like um, uh, in the next, the next section here in verse uh, 43, I'm just going to read the rest, 43 through 45. Michael, I apologize. Michael's doing all this work back here for us, and I even told him where I was going to have the slides and move on, and now I'm changing it. Um, in verse 43, after Jesus healed the boy, it says that all the people there were amazed at the greatness of God. But, but, but while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. I'm going to stop there. Because here's this cool thing. Remember I told you last week, I tried to show you how the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the ones that are writing the same account, 
through three perspectives that Mark was probably dictated or um, writing down afterwards what Peter had told him. So in some ways, the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Peter. Um, it's really, or Peter and Mark. But anyway, all three or four people were trying to show the same experiences that they thought were important, the upside of the sine waves, even when it was a, a negative thing that God was transforming. But they all had a slightly different perspective and slightly different memory. It's one of the reasons I think that proves textual criticism of the Bible, um, demonstrating that these accounts aren't the same. They're very, very different. Uh, sometimes among the three synoptic gospels, these three guys, they remember different things like we would. You're going to remember everybody in this room and online are going to remember different things about the message today because something's going to hit you and that's where you're going to stay. And that's OK. So right between in verse 43, it's really interesting. It says, and they were amazed at the greatness of God. And then while everyone was marveling at all of that, he was doing, he said to his disciples. But right between there, Matthew in chapter 17 gives us a little bit more. He remembers a little bit more. So I'm going to go over to Matthew 17, verses 19 through 21. And we're going to hear a little bit more. So, man, I should have kept my thumb in there. Oh, look, I have this cool little Bible ribbon. All right. So let me read it to you. I'm going to read you 43 with Matthew 17 wedged in. So it says, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Back to Matthew, verses 19 through 21. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Hey, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Well, because of the littleness of your faith. That's awesome. That's what I want people to tell me. Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then there's this, it says in verse uh, 21, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now here's a little interesting note we learned if you took the, uh, how we got the Bible class online you'll see that in verse 21, that verse in whatever you're reading should be in brackets. If you're on a paper Bible or you're in the U version or whatever, it'll be in brackets. And that is because that verse does not occur in all of the earliest manuscripts. So the way the Bible is put together is very critical. And so they're, they're intentionally noting here the, phrase, the sentence, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, was in a lot of the manuscripts, but not all of them. So it's not quite as strong as the rest. Um, so I love looking at those kind of critical things. But the point here is, he, you know, Jesus says, well, it's because of the littleness of your faith. You just didn't have the faith that you could do it, right? And going back to the self-talk, going back to... You know, I would say almost a possession kind of way of thinking, basically playing into the hands of the enemy, as Kyle was pointing out before with the enemy attacks. What you're going to do is you're not going to have faith that whatever you're worrying about is, is able to be worked out. It's because of the littleness of your faith that things don't work out. 
again, I cannot express enough how many people have sat across a desk or table from me, um, sometimes with their spouse in counseling, um, or sometimes just alone with their own personal problems, and I can see a better future for them just in the natural way the world could work out. It doesn't even, it's not even a supernatural better future for them, but they refuse to see it. And it doesn't improve for them, and it won't improve for them until that spirit is cast out. And the hope of God and the healing of Jesus has allowed some room to come in and take its place. Matthew also went on, I won't read it, but he goes on to say that the disciples were deeply grieved over this. It's not something you want to hear. No one wants to hear this. But, but if you'll hear it and grieve over it and perhaps change, I hope this sounds familiar to you. It's called admitting you have a problem. Confession. It's called wanting to see your life change for the better and to turn yourself, if you will, a little bit more in alignment with Jesus' calling for your life. That's called repentance. Again, it's just this constant, consistent story that God is laying out for all of us if we'll just pay attention. And there's a lot of that going on. But I also wanna, I want, I want you to, to give you a positive tool as well. The wisdom of life experience, right? Mark writes elsewhere in, in uh, his gospel, chapter 9, all things are possible to him or her who believes, right? Think back on your life experiences, good and bad. <clears throat> the reason I'm a pastor is because at some point, uh, our church at Morello Hills was looking for a youth pastor or was thinking about it. And the pastor's wife at the time said, said to a uh, conference I was in, you will minister best where you've struggled the worst in life and survived. And then I felt clearly, the only time I felt very clearly in my entire life that God just whoosh, right into me was this whole rewind of my teenage years and how rough it was, how tough I had it, how tough I made it, you know, because I was a teenager, and, uh, and all of this stuff, and then just crystal clear voice, you will be the next youth pastor at Morello Hills Christian Church. And of course, I just immediately said, no. <laughs> I've seen those teenagers. No, no, what are you talking about? But when I answered that call, that's when things began to change, not just for that church, for those teenagers, but for me. But for me, my whole life started to change. And that's where you see you have celebrate recovery leaders who have, have changed in their life. And they're the most powerful people to lead those recovery um, ministries because they know it, Right. Uh, when I was in homeless ministries, one of the things I think that finally pushed me out was everybody working on the teams with me were formerly homeless people, most of them formerly addicts. I was not. I had a little bit of homelessness as a kid, never, I think, been an addict to anything. Um, and so I just couldn't as fully understand what was going on as people around me. But I had the bandwidth to be more positive because I hadn't lived for so long in the bottom of the sine wave. 
And so that kept me going for a very long time. But even that eventually failed. And it's difficult. It's difficult. But I wonder, I, I just reveled in their life experiences, my coworkers, and they weren't elderly, but they had a lot of really hard life experience that I could learn from. And if I would listen, I would better understand the client under the bridge off of Contra Costa Boulevard that's really, really in the hole. And I could be able to speak to them. I could be able to climb under the bridge, sit down in the dirt and talk with them through some of their struggles in a way that they felt like I heard them. And that's the whole key to life for everybody, right? Is that whoever you're talking to or whoever's talking to you, they know that you're hearing them. It's interesting too in, in Mark, in Mark, so let's go over to Mark too, in chapter nine, in Mark 9, 22 through 24, uh, Mark adds another interesting detail, um, and it's the last one I'll use as a synoptic detail, but in Mark 9, uh, 22 through 24, he has re recorded in here, oh, this is the Father. This is interesting, too. This is when the Father is describing to, to Jesus what's going on with his son before Jesus heals him. So I should have covered this a little earlier, but in, uh, did I say 19? No. Where did I say 22? I wrote it down because I have an old man brain. 22 through 24 in Mark 9. The father's telling Jesus, you know, this demon has often thrown my boy into the fire and in the water to destroy him. So he's tried to throw, the demons tried to throw this boy into a fire, like a campfire bonfire to try and, you know, kill him. And he's also thrown him into water for him to drown. He's, he's trying to destroy him. But Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can. He doesn't really do this anywhere else in the Bible that we have recorded. All things are possible to him who believe. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, there's a little piece of me that just doesn't believe this can get better. Help me with that. Because I can't. I'm powerless. And apparently so are your apostles. <laughs> and isn't that true of our lives sometimes too? Where I, I can't tell you how many times I've personally said, and I've heard a lot of people say in many different ways, I do believe, but would you just help me, my unbelief? The parts of me that still are clinging on, they're like, mm. the cynic, the doubter, the person of little faith. I catch myself saying often, I do believe, help my unbelief. I might, just, I might not just flat out say it that way, but it's part of how I live my life. Not in a weak, positioned way, but in a sense of I'm trying to recognize anytime I feel a little sliver of unbelief, whether it's spiritual unbelief or personal unbelief or physical worldly unbelief in something, I, I want to, to understand how I can better understand. And I want to live out of that belief. I don't want to live in unbelief. I think we've seen this a lot over the last year where there have been a lot of, let's just say, uh, theories 
about everything, about the presidents, about the politics, about the COVID, about the vaccinations, about the masks, about everything. There's been a lot of, let's say, theories out there. But I see a lot of people that are clinging to even things that are clearly not true um, because that's what they want to believe in. It's like they want to just hold on to their unbelief in the system. And for me, that's a form of spiritual possession. And I try hard to be informed by these. You might be surprised how many conspiracy theories or just general theories or anarchy theories or whatever I am aware of, mostly because I've been exposed to them um, and have processed through. But in all of these theories, the most difficult thing is just to say, you know, I don't believe in all this. I mean, I, I, I probably, um, it's probably controversial to bring up, but I was, I'm not a fan of the vaccine. Now, I just got my first uh, vaccine shot and I'll be back for a booster in I think one and a half more weeks. But I don't have any concerns about the vaccine other than its lack of testing and potential health issues. That's it. All this other stuff that everybody's telling me about, when I look into it just a teeny bit, I'm like, yeah, no. It's just a health concern for me. And I know some people won't believe me, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. But when I'm going through this process, I have to actually tell people um, who are like, don't do this, you're gonna become a Borg or whatever you know these things are, right? Like, I don't want this vaccine, but it's only because of health concerns. And that's the only thing that really makes sense. Everything else you can theorize over, but come on, man, really? Maybe, but really? And they won't listen. They just won't listen. I can't get people to see that. I used to think it was because people wanted to fight. People wanted to be able to fight over what they believe and someone else doesn't, especially if their beliefs don't line up with mainstream beliefs. And I still do believe that. But most of the time I believe it's because we are spiritually possessed, if you will, and we're just determined to hang on to something that clearly is wrong. And I don't have the right to change that in another human being, but out of my love for that other person, I want them to see the truth, right? Just as much as I want people to see the gospel. And so I work hard to maneuver through that, and I fail at that a lot, but I work hard at it a lot. And as you dig deeper and deeper into scripture, this will come up a lot more in every area of your life. And Jesus says, and he says this, let me get back to my Luke. He says this in Luke 9, the words that he actually says in verses 44 through 45 is, and I'm going to sort of close with these today, let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And then those next five words, but they did not understand this statement 
and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. You know, what Jesus is trying to show to them, and he'll keep showing them for the rest of chapter 9, is that deeper knowledge isn't a way to human power. That's not the point of deeper knowledge. It's an understanding, actually, and ultimately, about what Jesus accomplished on the cross himself. And that we contributed to. Peter denying him, disciples fleeing him, and then disbelieving him until he shows back up after he's been resurrected. About us needing him because we're imperfect people, all of us. Paul says there's not one, no, not one who is without sin. I think it was Bob Gleason. I know it's been other people since then that really drove into my heart. Every time I sin, it's like driving another nail into Jesus on the cross. It's easy to say that. It's really hard to feel it, to go deeper. And what's neat is as the disciples gain more time and experience with Jesus, things in the future... So after his resurrection would be actually promoted and propelled by these things that they remember from the past, from their life experience. Oh, you did say you were going to die and, and rise again. You did say you could tear down this temple and in three days you would rebuild it. You did say all of these things. It wasn't just talk. You really did it. So as the apostles spend more and more time with Jesus, even after he's gone, with the Holy Spirit guiding them, they begin to have the life experience that starts putting all the dots together. And they go on, all but one of them, John the Apostle, and that's just by circumstance, they all go on to give their lives for Jesus. Eleven people... Later, well, more than that, but 11 of the apostles go on to um, give their lives for Jesus in very violent ways. When all they had to do usually was to recant their belief, when their skin is being peeled off, when they're being lowered into vats of boiling oil, when they're being crucified themselves, all they had to do is just say, okay, okay, it was a power scheme, I'm sorry, you know, and none of them recanted. It was only John the Apostle, who they did try and boil in oil, apparently, who lived into old age, and interestingly, later on we'll learn that Jesus um, said that that would happen. That Peter turns and says, what about this guy, like, What's going to happen with him? And, and Jesus says, well, what is it to you if I let him live until forever, until I come back, right? It's really interesting when you pay attention to that stuff. And so it, it's just such powerful proof of the reality of Jesus, of his power to be able to, to cast out these evil things in our lives, most of which we 
put in ourselves or we've allowed or invited to enter. I want to encourage you today. I want to, I want to unlock you a little bit. Actually, all I want to do is give you the tools to give you the Jesus that will unlock your life in amazing ways. Because <clears throat> I don't have the power to do that. I can just tell you what Jesus has the power to do. And what I'm going to tell you is think better of yourself. And think less of your negatives. Believe that there can be a better future. Believe in some ways that you're living in a better future right now. Believe that Jesus has the power to change it all for you, to heal you in miraculous way. He cast out a demon out of this guy and ended his convulsions. That's pretty serious. I think, I think he can take care of my allergies. I think maybe if he chooses to, he could cure cancer. He can cure heart conditions, lung conditions, mental, mental health conditions, homelessness, poverty, Democrat, Republican too. <laughs> he can cure all this stuff if he chooses it, right? But you have to take it. You have to allow him to flush out the stuff in your life that you have believed, the, the things that have spiritually possessed you, if you will, in my metaphor here, and fill that space with his Holy Spirit instead. And you have to be careful to keep it open only to the Holy Spirit. Because there are other passages that say, if you're just kind of superficial about it, those demons will come back. And they'll come back in force. And it'll be worse for you in the future than it was for you in the beginning. And the sad thing is, based on my limited experience, most of you will continue living in the negatives of your life. And all you have to do to change everything is listen at least to my life experience. But listen to the, to the gospel. Listen to the scripture and understand that Jesus has a better way. Jesus has a better plan for you in your life. Jesus has a better plan for what you're facing. And hey, if Jesus doesn't heal you of what's going on right now, in eternity he will. And this will be a little teeny blip on the radar. I want to close today by praying a psalm over you. Uh, I think I've told you guys this before, but I, flipping over to the Psalms, it's kind of fun because Psalms is a big book of the Bible and it's right in the middle. So if you just open your Bible to the middle somewhere, you're probably in Psalms somewhere. It's just a little trick, free of charge. Um, but I want to pray Psalm 51 over you, the first 17 verses here. And I want you just to hear these words and maybe make them your own and let them begin the cleansing process. So let me pray for you. <clears throat> Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, and let the, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my inequities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, guiltliness, O God, the God of my salvation. And then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. Because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Father God, I just ask for everyone hearing uh, my voice, hearing your word as I read them, Father. I just pray that you would create healing in each of us, that you would create a new heart, Father, that you would start a new life this morning, that you would help us, that this would be a way to find the light finally in life, Father. That those things that have held us back from the past that those would become things to be life experience. And the parts of them that are just baggage we carry through our lives, that we would just leave that suitcase behind. Father, I pray for our future. I pray for our country. I pray for our world. I thank you for the recovery from uh, this virus to some extent. I thank you for giving your people a heart to mostly hear each other and have compassion for each other. And Father, I just pray that you would increase that and so the whole world would see us as the salt and light of this world. But Father, it begins with me. It begins with each of us. And I pray you would work that transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have a good week and go enjoy your life. <laughs> Have a great week.